NBA. And now it's time for the biggest bonanza on Blaze Radio. Live from the Bill Austin Radio Studio, this is the College Basketball Bonanza. Welcome into the College Basketball Bonanza right at 7 o'clock Arizona time on a Sunday night here on Blaze Radio on BlazeRadioOnline.com. I'm Nicholas Hodel, Dominic Sturm, Dom Contini are alongside me as always. And we haven't talked about the transfer portal in quite a bit. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks. We have quite a bit to discuss as there's been plenty of top players to enter, plenty of top players who have committed to another place. And one of those players who is in the portal is Kendrick Davis, the SMU star who earned the American Athletic Conference Player of the Year honors. Very consistent score, could do the work in the playmaking department as well. The American Athletic Conference Player of the Year. He is in the portal. And one of the things I've been saying for quite a while about Mr. Davis is that he's the type of guy that can lead a team to a national championship in whatever role he's placed. I think we kind of saw Remy Martin, his expectations where he was going to be the guard that was going to get Kansas across the line. He did it from the bench, but his contributions got Kansas across the line. That's kind of the expectation I have for Kendrick Davis. That's the prototype. He has shown the talent at SMU throughout his entire career there. And he's got the opportunity now to really make something out of himself and make something really special like he has done the last couple of years. Right, and just kind of reading off the numbers that way our listeners can truly understand how good Davis has been. Because in the American, and I asked him, you spotlight isn't always on you. I mean, this past season, put up 19 points per game to go along with four assists per game. And the year before, he also put up 19 points, but seven and a half assists so you're looking at a really dynamic point guard here and i mean almost every team should be at least showing interest and i'm not sure where he's going to land but yeah davis is going to be a guy that a lot of teams are going to want to want because guard play wins that, that that that's what it comes down to and if you're a team that has the front court play and you're looking for a point guard that can be slotted right in to almost any system and help your team win davis needs to be that guy yeah, I mean, we saw Kendrick Davis play in a big-time conference in the Big 12 at TCU before he went to SMU. Yeah, he only averaged 6.3 points while he was there, but he showed what he's able to do on the offensive side of the ball. And now he has a veteran leadership quality that he didn't have when he was younger in the Big 12, so he's going to be the big man on campus now, and I think he has a good reason to be the number one transfer in the country according to ESPN. Yeah, and and quite frankly, it's one of those things that's just so deserving because of the type of player he has really turned into, and that's a guy who can score against the best of them in a very solid conference in the America. You know, the uh, pr- primary options for that conference is going to be uh, decreasing over the course of time. But if, uh, a few days from a few days ago, this was the list that Jeff Goodman has said had reached out to Kendrick Davis, Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, Gonzaga, Villanova, Texas Tech, Texas, Houston, TCU, Florida, Purdue, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, on and on and on it goes. So you're talking about the best of the best as far as these programs are concerned. Almost all of them have reached out to Kendrick Davis in some form. Like, that's the kind of guy we're talking about here, the guy that is destined to go to a top team nationally and have a pretty big contribution and really a big sale over whether or not 
Kendrick Davis, or whether or not that program, is going to be led, bare minimum, to the Final Four, uh, if not second weekend at the bare, bare minimum. And that will be due to Kendrick Davis and what he's been able to do. And, and, li and like you said, Dominic, I mean, the numbers kind of speak for themselves. Someone who did in some work off the bench in 2018-19 uh, from, the, from their school, but it was TCU, and then he comes in the SMU, and he just really dominates. Right. And, you know, you talked about Duke. Duke's been a team that always enters the NCAA tournament no matter their seating. We've seen them as low as four or five. Seen them, obviously, several times as a two or a one. But what's defined Duke in the NCAA tournament has been their point guard play. And if they can get Davis, that can really help them out for that because being able to have a guy where you can put the ball in his hands to start every play and say either, all right, go make a play or go put the ball in the hands of someone else so that they can go make a play. Having that guy has really opened up Duke, and especially for year one in John Shire, he's really going to want to have that guy that can help him facilitate that because you know he may not be as great at drawing up plays at the, at the get-go setting up guys in position to mm -hmm. succeed but if he can have a point guard that has done that for the last several years a guy that averaged seven and a half assists per game for a while davis can be that guy and i think that's important and we also saw at texas tech their offense stunk throughout the year but they had a couple of good games they didn't really have that point guard if mark adams can get that point guard Davis all of a sudden can really turn into a guy that can help him out on that defensive end. Staying there, you know, he's seen a lot of offenses. He can diagnose stuff, but he can also help lead that offense and maybe have lead Texas Tech to having a better off offensive year. Yeah, and what's the thing we always say every year once the bracket comes out? Guard play is going to win tournament. Mm -hmm. And this this is that type of guard um, within Evan Maya's uh, transfer portal rankings, which is more analytical, but has the traditional transfer stars. Um, so that's so for those who like the high school recruiting and all the stars that they give to, to certain prospects, you know, this is kind of like one of the best things you could possibly get your hands on at EvanMaya.com. He's certainly got the offensive projection as far as the uh, the BPR metric goes, the big analytical uh, metric of the site. Mm -hmm. The defensive number isn't quite there compared to some other guys, uh, but that offensive metric is by far and away the best in the portal. Yeah, and I really like the Duke narrative for uh, Mr. Davis because, like Dom said, he, he's going to be that veteran leader that Shire needs on that team. And with the recruiting class that's coming into Duke, uh, their two best recruits are centers, and someone's going to need to get them the ball. And I would say Duke struggled this year because they didn't really have an experienced uh, guard on their team. And especially with Derek Whitehead as well at the forward position coming in for the Blue Devils, this Duke squad could be loaded for Shire's first year, especially if Kendrick Davis makes the move to the Blue Devils. Yeah, and, and you look at you know all the prospects that have already committed to Duke and really done through all that, not even just in this class coming into college this next season, but also the next one as well. And John Shire has done fantastically well in getting the prospects to come. For sure. Kind of continuing the lineage of the prestigious program uh, that Coach K has set. If you can do that in the transfer portal as well, we've seen I mean, teams you can win titles by, by combining that. You know, all you really need is that one piece. Mm -hmm. Remy Martin was that one piece that got, that got Kansas over the line to a national championship. Kendrick Davis is, is that guy. Wherever he goes, he can be that added piece that take someone over the hump 
and to a national title. And I think it's also important to distinguish what Remy Martin did before he transferred to Kansas and what he did after. He was the primary scorer at Arizona State. Kendrick Davis was the primary scorer at Southern Southern Methodist. Remy Martin goes to a better team with better players around him, better coach, and he put him in a better position to succeed. And not just him, but also the team. And that's what ultimately matters because these guys, they don't care if they're putting up 19 points per game, or at least they shouldn't. They care if they're winning games. And it's exactly what Remy did this year, especially late in March. Remy cut down the nets because he wasn't the guy who had to score all the points like he did at Arizona State. Kendrick Davis is not going to have to be the guy who scores all the points like he did at SMU. If Kendrick Davis goes, or when he goes to this bigger school with better players around him, He's not going to have to do that. And I think that's really what's going to elevate his game and elevate his team's performance, too. Yeah, and there's a couple of stats I really want to mention in that regard, too. You know, as guys move away from being the primary scorer, uh, they might move into more of a playmaker-type role. And for Kendrick Davis, he averaged uh, just over 4.4 assists per game last year. And so he already has sort of that playmaking mentality even when he is the primary scorer. And one other note I want to make, too, is that uh, obviously, he only played 17 games in 2021, so a natural bump in the numbers was going to always be the case. Uh, so perhaps the really best really way to go about this, um, so it's, it's very much a take out your own caution because the bump in the stats is, you know, he's playing 15 more games in a season. But his percentages uh, from three stay the exact same, which I think is very valuable to have because when you take more and more shots from three, you know if you can if you can get that percentage to flat line, that's alone is a major success, and so that that was a big big deal for him. Um, his percentages from overall on the floor kind of took a dip, and at forty four percent, I don't think anyone's going to complain about that either. No. That that is a another very solid number for him. So dependable three dependable free throw shooter uh, all three years at SMU eighty five plus percent. Yeah. 83 plus percent. Yeah, 86, uh, 87 percent close to uh, last season. So that is a big number for him to really aspire to again uh, this coming season. Another big name entered the portal not too long ago, and that was Amani Bates uh, from Memphis. And this guy had so much promise going in, but what really ended up happening is that he was too young. And for him to have such the uh, ha- as much pressure on him as he did, kind of affect him quite a bit and we can kind of look at the numbers and kind of see that for himself have three pretty solid games um to start the year uh and then the the shooting just took a nosedive from there uh which is not really shooting as well as what as what he would have liked uh took a little bit of of a three-game pause um going into the 2022 calendar year played five more and again didn't quite Produce as well as perhaps some was hoping kind of coincided with the decline of that Memphis team was out through February and into March before the NCAA tournament. Memphis rises back up to being a solid tournament team. And so and, and, uh, I, I really am just, I'm not surprised that Bates is in the portal. I just don't know what to make of it and where he might end up landing. That, that really is the biggest thing to me because he proved last year that at that moment in time, he was just too young for the moment. But with a year in college ball under his belt, if he stays in college, 
But experience might really help him out going into next season. Well, yeah, and I'm surprised. I'm looking at this article from uh, Isaac Trotter from 247 Sports. He lists a couple of schools that he thinks Bates could go to, and the schools are of high prestige, them being Baylor, Bama, Oregon, USC, Texas, Ohio State, Auburn, Arkansas, Tennessee, and Michigan, and Kentucky. Hmm. So... Those are big-name schools, and I think that's just due to what Imani Bates was able to do in high school. Because, I mean, the, the kid got comparisons to Kevin Durant when he was in high school. Yeah, because that's, that's the other thing I want to point out, too. This kid, when he came to Memphis, had the talent. Yeah. He 100% had that talent. He reclassified, um, maybe trying to get that one year on college and a bit earlier before going out to the pros. Obviously, it didn't work out for him. Um, but well, he's not old enough to go to the pros. Yeah, that's the other thing, yeah. too. For, I mean... Perhaps the seizing in college, getting the extra year would have helped, would have benefited him too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, like I said, what we learned was that he was too young for the moment, uh, and the expectations that are put on him, it was just too much. I mean, the Memphis saga that first several months of the year was just riveting to say the least. Well, and a school that I think is definitely a possibility for Bates here is Michigan State because that's where he was originally committed to prior to reclassifying and then decommitting. He wanted to go into a different situation knowing that he reclassified. It's just really peculiar because, yeah, the talent's there, and a guy as talented as Amani Bates is not going to step down or step laterally from the American Conference. So, I think a lateral step, though, would be either to the G League or overseas if he decides to leave the well, college. Well, can game. he go to the G League if he's not eligible to be a pro? Yeah. Oh right, yeah, you're right. Yeah, he, as long as he's only in the G League. Yeah, I, I thought, I thought there was no way he was going to stick around in college basketball. But then again, I was wrong. So yeah, and if he does, um, it will be interesting to say the least because I was perusing through the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook for this past year, the College Basketball Yearbook of choice here on the College Basketball Bonanza. Absolutely great value buy. Um, but this is what Penny Hardaway had to say about him way before the start of the season. Quote. He is one of the fiercest competitors I have ever recruited, and he instantly makes everyone around him better. His will to win makes us a better team. That was something we did not see out of him. No. And I, I think the easy conclusion to make is that, like I've said, that pressure just got to him. And, and But as I've said, also, the talent is still there. There's no doubt about that. It's just, has the year of seasoning in college even though he did not play uh, too much, especially in the back end of the year, Memphis got better as a team. Has that helped him? Because I mean, if, if it did, he is going to blossom. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But whether or not that helped him or not is the big question in my mind. Because mm-hmm. like, so, like, so, some of the things he did you know, weren't necessarily bad. But the thing that really sticks out to me and what really got in when the, when the slump really came in he wasn't getting too many assists off, and he was turning the ball over. I mean, against Virginia Tech in November, no assists, two turnovers. Same line against Iowa State. One assist, two turnovers against Georgia. No assists, two turnovers against Mobis. Fast, fast forward after the three missed games to start off the American Athletic Conference play. Uh, January 12 against UCF, no assists, four turnovers. Against SMU on January 20, no assists, four turnovers. Uh, against East Carolina, no assists, two turnovers. Like he had his spot games, where he was able to distribute the ball pretty well, get the positive assist turnover ratio, and was able to do good things there. But when that wasn't happening, when he wasn't getting the assists and turning the ball over, 
That's when Memphis really kind of self-destructed itself. And he was part of that self-destruction early on in the year. And without him, the team really got better. Which, for Monty Bates, isn't the best look when, when you're no. out. The team's getting better. Um, but it, it actually does intrigue me that so many high-caliber programs may want in on him. There's no doubt the talent is there. And I've said that over and over again. And, and, and it just goes back to that big question I have. Has that year of seasoning actually helped him? Because, I mean, if it hasn't helped him out, and he has like, and if he doesn't find a coach that kind of get the bad habits out of him, that might be very troublesome for this young kid. That might be very troublesome. Uh, I, one could hope that that year of seasoning has really helped him out. He's going to make something out of the 22-23 season should he come back to college basketball. Uh, but, but I worry for him. Like that, this freshman year was not a good look on him at all. Even when he was out. No, and all it takes is possibly getting into the right situation to help him blossom. I mean, I feel like it's less different for Davis compared to Monty Bates because Davis is established, but Bates has the untapped potential that all these coaches are going to be just drooling over because they know or they think they know what they can have in Bates. And they want to be the guy that can do that. And, I mean, the selling point to Bates is, hey, here's what you did wrong. Here's why we thought you did it. Here's what we're going to do to help. And here's what we know and what we think you can do. And here's how, with you being on this team, what we can accomplish. If you go and you walk into Imana Bates' house or you bring Imana Bates into your facility, that's what you have to be telling him. And I'm sure that these programs are telling him that because there's no way – that some of those programs that Dom previously mentioned are going to be sitting there saying, Amani Bates can't help us because he absolutely can. It's whether or not you can put him in the best situation to help yourself out. That's the job of the coach. The coach puts their players in the best position to succeed. And these coaches are going to be all over Imani Bates for the right reasons, athletic, tall. Mike, right. He, he yeah. is the definition of a perfect NBA prospect. And I don't want I want I don't want people to forget that this dude got comparisons to a score like Kevin Durant in high school, and he's not going any he's not going away. And if he goes to one of these programs out listed, I think he'll be just fine. Um, I know I am a homer, but I love the Ohio State narrative. I didn't even know that that was a possibility, but um, with what Chris Holman was able to do with Dwayne Washington. Malachi Branham and Egypt Odell and develop them into NBA prospects at a quick rate. I mean, who knows? Maybe he will go to Ohio State and change our program. But yeah, yeah, and for a guy like him, that's such a big selling point. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the fact that there is a proven uh, system there of development, like that's for a guy like Amani Bates, that's huge. Mm -hmm. Like, we're not going to make any bones about that. That is big time for him. And, and that might end up being the, the right spot for him, you know, a coach that has proven themselves to develop players, the NBA-ready players. Like, and like, like you've said, like the perfect NBA prospect, what can you get out of him? Mm -hmm. Like That's something that Penny Hardaway really failed to do at Memphis you know, and get that absolute best out of him. Um, but perhaps the reclassification was a mistake. And perhaps now that he's got the year of seasoning, because experience does wonders for a player. I think every one of us in the studio knows that. Um, but it's just a great opportunity for a guy like that uh, to really keep themselves going. Uh, again, College Basketball Dance live from the Bill Austin Radio Studio. That is Dominic Stern. Dom continues right behind him. I'm Nicholas Hodel. Happy to have you alongside. 
catch up on the transfer portal from the last couple of weeks. And we're going to continue doing that right now uh, with a team that has completely had to re reestablish themselves in the program. That's LSU. Will Wade firing. You got you got scan. You've got sanctions coming up. I'm sure down the pipe. Mm -hmm. The entire roster is pretty much in the portal. Uh, has committed elsewhere. I've done something at some point. And now Matt McMahon's had to really try and get guys. And luckily for him, he has done that through a couple of players uh, from Murray State. That is Trey Hannibal and Justice Hill. And might I mention, too, the big prize for Murray State is still out there, that being uh, K.J. Williams. So that might be a development later later on in this portal season to really get after. Uh, but to touch on the Murray State guys a little bit here, uh, Trey Hannibal, uh, he joined Murray State from South Carolina originally. So he's going back to the SEC. Had a solid year for himself in the OVC. Shows over nine points per game, around five rebounds a game. And then Justice Hill was fantastic on the scoring end with 13.2 uh, points per game. Shows around five assists per game. Playmaking guard, six foot, 170. It really made that sophomore bump at Murray State this year. Turned into a big part of that Murray State team. So a couple of guys who are going to really keep the same coach, transfer schools to be with that coach. I think having a couple of guys who know the system well is so valuable. Because, uh, again, we know the NCAA can take a sweet old time with these investigations. Just ask Oklahoma State about that. Yeah, that, that, that whole situation was stupid for yeah. Oklahoma State. Yeah, so. and, and obviously there's no star mm -hmm. for like Kate Cunningham that the NCAA is going to want to purposely do that for. <laughs> again, that is just a... Um, oh, I didn't, I, I didn't even... That's... Uh, a conspiracy, you know. Don't take that for granted. Don't take that for the granted. All that it is. I was telling, I was telling, having trouble coming up with the right word. Uh, but I think both these guys, the continue, the, the uh, continuancy of having that same coach, they can show those LSU players that are on that roster that hey, we know what's about this coach. We can tell you guys everything about him and what you expect. Mm -hmm. I think that's a big, big piece to have a couple mm -hmm. of guys already there who know what McMahon is like. I mean, we've seen that before. My bad. We've like, seen that before. Um, I mean, it's a little bit different. Uh, I'm going to bring up Ohio State again. When Chris Holman made the move to Ohio State, um, Kyle Young, a original commit to Butler, followed Chris Holman because he respected Holman. And the amount of respect that Matt McMahon can have from a player from Murray State and he can bring that with him, that does numbers like he said, Nick. So I completely agree. Well, what I was going to say is that not only are the additions of – uh, of Hill and Hannibal coming in from Murray State important, but also Wilkinson and Williams staying at LSU is also important because they can help adapt guys to LSU. So they have guys that can adapt them to the system that McMahon's going to bring in. They also have guys who can help adapt them to LSU. Absolutely. I think it would have been – this is a thing. This is just an opinion. There's obviously nothing to base this off of. It would have been worse for LSU to have no players returning from their roster – than it would be to have no players transferring over with McMahon from Murray State. Simply because, I mean, these guys are changing schools. They have guys coming into the college level that are going to need some help. So I think it's more important to get those guys coming back from LSU that have dealt with the school, can provide some stuff there. Baton Rouge being settled in. It's a very interesting college town there. I think that is just as important, if not more important, than Hill and Hannibal coming in from Murray State. So I think McMahon has done a good job with the deck that he's been dealt because, let's be real, 
It's not a good one. Yeah, we're talking uh, about like a, a two and a three offsuit for poker terms. Like, it's horrible. Well, two, three offsuit isn't that bad because you have straight potential, but uh, I digress. Uh, <laughs> more like 210. Uh, 210. So I, I think he's done a good job. LSU is going to be a really fascinating team to follow, not only just on in terms of playing basketball because the SEC has been a lot of fun, but also because it can recruit typically how well are they going to be able to recruit given the sanctions LSU is going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, it's just going to be some of one of those interesting teams in the SDC that's just so improved. Uh, and we've seen that improvement over the course of the last several years. Uh, but McMahon has not just gotten guys from Murray State. He's also picked up Cam Hayes, a um, guy which projected analytically not be as, as good as Hannibal and Hill. But Hayes does provide some power of college experience in the ACC. Uh, just over seven points per game, around two and a half rebounds per game, around two assists per game uh, with NC State. Started until the 2022 calendar year, then kind of saw his role reduced to being the sixth man. Still providing some good points in some games off the bench as well. So it's not like he didn't really provide himself some goods there. Uh, but he also had some good production as a starter as well uh, against some of those not college opponents. So, so Cam Hayes is definitely a solid player. It'll be the question of how much of a bump he makes uh, year to year. Right. So the LSU is going to have a lot of potential. So... I, I really don't know what this team's going to look like and what the sanctions look like, too. Hmm. What they look like just in general and also when they come in. LSU's in a fascinating spot. Especially in a conference like the SEC. Yeah. It's going to be very hard. It's going to be a couple of years, I would say, unless they get some big-name transfer or recruit to come into their school. Yeah, because you have to have, like, the star... Uh, to be able to compete in the SEC, mm-hmm. and that matters really only happened in the last, well, I probably shouldn't say that. It's been Kentucky and Florida have those kind of guys. But, you know, schools like Tennessee, Alabama, Arbor, they've really risen up to become really good basketball programs over the last several seasons, and that is really in the SEC uh, such a good conference. Uh, might be something I might write up another Chronicle on at some point down the line. They've had a really good portal as a conference. Uh, as well. Uh, but some of the guys leaving L- LSU are also very uh, interesting to say the least for their respective new schools. Uh, Eric Gaines perhaps being one of the bigger prizes uh, going to UAB, which is actually quite interesting um, to say the least. Uh, someone that, at least analytically in the projections, is going to be rated as one of the better defensive players that come out of the portal this year, uh, was fifth in Eric Maya's uh, transfer portal ranks. Um, and provided some de- a decent amount of scoring for LSU in his sophomore um, season. Uh, but th- this is one of those guys that I think is going to be able to do quite well um, in a lesser conference. Had that uh, first year to second year bump, so he's proven himself in that capacity. Just a, a guy that I think is going to be able to really get comfortable in a smaller and a lesser conference in the SEC and thrive in it. I it, the SEC mm. has really transformed itself into one of the best conferences. So uh, LSU, they're they're, they're going to have to be able to remain strong with what's going on around its program, with all the players leaving. So uh, it it's going to be up to them to play well in this non-conference schedule. That's I mean I haven't taken a look at it. Uh, I don't even know if it's released, but maybe setting the tone early on for them is going to be important. Yeah, and, and and it's like, I mean, LSU, like, we're talking about five guys in that portal. There are five stars in Evan Maya's projection. Eric Gangs being one of them. Brandon Murray going to Georgetown with another one. 
as well. Uh, but but I think that Eric Gaines will be definitely really solid for uh, UAB, as will uh, Brandon Murray, what he may be able to, uh, to provide to that team as well, which is another really solid player there. And, you know, there are uh, some other big prizes from LSU that some uh, a team will be able to get. We're talking about guys like Adam Miller and Xavier Pinson, Afton Lead uh, <coughs> still around. We're even talking about a guy, perhaps an NIL beast like a, a Sharif O'Neal. Mm-hmm. Um, still sitting there. So if you're looking for players from LSU, there is a lot to choose from, uh, but several prizes really um, to really go around. Um, for, of the guys who are still in that portal from LSU, who would you guys be more interested in seeing where they end up? Efton Reed. Because I feel like he, I mean, he, he transferred to LSU last year. So he's been all over the place, and he had a lot of hype. Um, around him because of his size and I think his size is something that can really help a program um, Ohio State has been mentioned of course but um, a big guy in a college basketball team can do numbers I mean we've seen that at Purdue they've had multiple um, so I'm, I'm interested to see where Mr. Reed goes yeah Afton Reed 6'11 238 that's uh, definitely a big guy how about you Dominic uh, Matt Miller and Pinson so Miller obviously was a highly touted recruit going to Illinois, was okay there, and then tore his ACL prior to the season, wasn't able to play. Just betting on his upside, knowing what he can, what he can provide for the team. I'd imagine he's going to take a step down, maybe go to an American, Mountain West, uh, a, a conference like that. Not a Power Six conference, but still a conference where Adam Miller deserves to be in. Uh, where he can still shine. And then Xavier Pinson, one of the best point guards in the nation, really knows how to command a team and also plays really good defense. Those are the two guys I'm really watching. Yeah, I mean, his production may have gone down for a little bit, had that injury midway through um, early on in the SEC schedule, missed five games uh, due to that injury, played a couple, was out of the Vanderbilt, and then kind of played his way through the rest, including a a 26-point game at Kentucky. So he really has proven himself against some high-quality competition. Um, really what you do with that momentum will be uh, quite a big deal. Well, as we know, the offseason not exactly about the transfer portal in its entirety, even though we, it, a lot of the talk is around the transfer portal. Still have you know the, the one or two high school crew still around, but really those who are returning might be one of the bigger deals for a school, as North Carolina is experiencing right now, as they've had a couple of very big announcements. Uh, Rondo Baycock and Leaky Black both coming back um, for another season and both of these guys are pretty big but especially Armando Baycock yeah. the double double machine himself and this is a guy that just is so freaking good for North Carolina yeah. this entire season uh, and best big man in the country I've said it multiple times I mean I'm very high on Baycott um, and especially I saw you tweeted out this earlier this week, Nick. This team completely relates to the UCLA team that they had this year. Everyone coming back after a great tournament run, after a not-so-great regular season. So um, I think this team is better than that UCLA team. So I think this North Carolina team is going to be a lot of fun next season. It absolutely will. And you know, and for just to talk about Baycock for a few minutes, I looked at some of the, the senior seasons uh, since 92-93, uh, since that is what the uh, player season finally really goes back to um, in 
the uh, Cosby Battle Reference Play Index. And, you know, just looking at, at some of the numbers, I mean, Bryce Johnson, 15-16, had a, averaging a double-double uh, that year, 17 points a game, 10.4 rebounds a game. Um, Baycott, more rebounds, just a bit less on the points. That might be the type of season we look at a little bit. Uh, a little bit less than the point scale of the Luke May year in 18-19. Uh, did himself a really solid number. Uh, but I think this might be the most anticipated senior season since Tyler Hansbro uh, in, North, in North Carolina as far as that history goes. Yeah, this program is built on rich history. And a lot of the times these teams regain players from its prior year. And we kind of seen that change just a little bit over the last couple of years that led to that disappointing 2020 season. A 2021 season that was very underwhelming. And then, of course, you saw this season that it took it a little bit to get going, obviously, under first year head coach Hubert Davis. But it's going to make his job, I think, a heck of a lot easier going into year two because he won't have to be dealing with as many new players. He can lean on guys like Baycott and Black, who know what Davis wants, knows how he's going to be able to ask for it and get it out of his players. And also, in game situation, they can relate a little bit more to their head coach. So I think for Hubert Davis, he's got to be more relieved than almost anyone that these guys are coming back. And Baycott, it's kind of one of those situations where he's a big man who doesn't project more like an NBA big man that can kind of step outside and also shoot. He's not the most athletic in terms of like speed and being able to run up and down in fast court. So he doesn't project to be that like NBA big man. But obviously a very, very dominant college basketball big man. And obviously the college basketball and college sports landscape has changed with NIL. And he, he, he made it very clear. Big part of the reason why I'm coming back is because I feel like I can take advantage of a brand and my image that I've built and make some money. And I haven't read into who he's got deals with, but I know he's got them. And I'd like to think this is a sign that we're going to continue to see with college basketball. And I think that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, some of these players who may not be uh, as NBA-ready as some of the bigger prospects in college basketball, um, you know, taking the opportunity to come back because of the NIL. I mean, you're still going to have guys who might make the decision to test the NBA draft waters, come back after a little bit. Yeah. Some of them might stay in the draft pool for whatever reason they have. Um, but guys, like, getting guys like Bay kind of come back to college basketball is a big sign for the health of the sport. Yeah, I mean, like the NIL and transfer portal for sure. Those two things is, are going to change the complete landscape of college sports drastically. Um, and with bringing a player like we bring a player back like Baycott when Davis is bringing his first recruiting class in, like his players, that will help a lot because Baycott, like Dom said, can set the tone and describe to the younger guys, like, hey, this is what we're doing here. This is why we were successful in the tournament. And I expect this North Carolina team to be successful as well. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and 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 just to really and I, I, like I said earlier, like this the Tyler Hansbro senior season, he averaged over twenty points a game, just over eight point one points per game, three offensive rebounds per game. Uh, so he really did the work it, um, inside with a really talented scorer. And Armando Baycock could take that to the next level as far as the rebounding is concerned. Maybe not as many points as the twenty point seven that Hansbro put up, but I absolutely think that Baycott senior season is going to be 
one for the books in recent years for North Carolina. Uh, I really think he has that sort of talent. Hopefully the courts he plays on are constructed properly, too. Oof. <laughs> Oof. No, no risen courts that are put in in the weeks prior to a game. <laughs> Oof. Uh, but but uh, and, and Leaky Black's going to provide the defense. This year was named to the conference as all-defensive team, and he's going to have that experience and really give Coach Huber Davis another big lift in the squad build as far as that is concerned. But there's one guy that hasn't quite made that decision yet uh, that might be a big one for North Carolina, and I was looking through this. There was a little, there was a little tune that was going through my head I was putting in the rundown, I think, and I put that on your guys' rundown. All you need is love. Okay, that's what that was. I was trying to figure that All out. All you need is love. <laughs> but do they really need him, though? That's what I'm saying. And th- that's, the point. that's really where I'm going to get to, because a decision from what to come back can shoot this team up to being as competitive as the Arkansas watch that they built and might get them over the top to be in the preseason number one next year. Well, I mean, Caleb Love, he is a very interesting player. I mean, he is, can be great at times, but really ugly at other times. And North Carolina is bringing a freshman, Seth Trimble, uh, brother to Melo Trimble of the Maryland Terrapins. Mm-hmm. And if I think he plays, if he do, if he plays like his brother, they don't need Caleb Love. But um, I don't know. I think Caleb Love is a great player, but I don't think he fits the part that this North Carolina team needs. Yeah, and, and there were some games where, like you said, he struggled. I mean, the game at Miami, he only scored five points with two of 12 shooting. I mean, against Wake Forest on the road, nine points, three of 15 shooting. Uh, against Baylor, only five points, one of six. Uh, but he had the games, like against UCLA, like like the national semifinal against Duke, in which he was that that guy that really etched him, at least against in the Final Four against Duke, etched him in Carolina Laura as one of the best players in one of the biggest games in program history and to, to retire Coach K. And, and so, like, if they get him back, I think the thing for Caleb Love is the consistency. Like, he would have to sort of get rid of those 3 of 15 shooting games, get rid of those... 2 of 12 shooting games, get rid of the 1 for 6 games in the NCAA tournament, and we'll play some of more consistent we'll get shooting rid of outings. The 5 for 24 in the national championship. Well, yeah, I mean, he, here's the thing is you look at his, I mean, you're just looking at his, his numbers, and you see 1 of 8 against Kansas from 3, you see 3 of 10 against Duke, and you see 2 of 10 against St. Peter's. He doesn't know when to stop shooting. Yeah, you see the 6 of 13 against UCLA, and you say, ah, that's the guy. Was the five star, and I mean the six of thirteen against Marquette in the first round too. Yeah, and more so against UCLA because they're a much better team. But yes, hundred percent, Nick. Two of ten against Virginia Tech in the final too. Right. Yeah. So yeah, and that's the that's the concern really for Love is that if me he does if he does come back he's gonna have to improve in that decision making process and just kind of knowing when the shot might not be there for you and try to get into a team that can make a better play. Like I think that'd be the big thing for Love, but. Just to have him back and provide another returning piece and provide that returning and continue to build on the returning yeah. core. Hubert Davis has to set it straight that, hey, Caleb, like, this is when you have the green light, and if you're not shooting it well, you do not have the green light. So Yeah, I think that's going to be the, the biggest challenge for Hubert Davis uh, as a head coach with a guy like that in that you're going to have guys who just 
are not the best shooters, and you have to really challenge them of when mm-hmm. when to give the red light. I mean, some... well, Caleb Love is at his best. He's a great shooter, but it's wait. I mean, like he ah, he's such a weird player, but um, he, he has to understand that he's gonna be a leader on this team. That if he does come back, he's gonna be one of the older guys, and he has to take that leadership role. And if he's not hitting his shots, he has to give the ball up. So. Yeah, that, that's going to be uh, quite the challenge. Uh, and, you know, some coaches know how to do it very well. Some coaches don't know how to do that very well. And what will Hubert Davis fall under? That uh, will be determined. A player Caleb Wolf reminds me of is Mark Loving from Ohio State. A guy who just loves to shoot the ball and can miss it a lot. Yeah, and that's an interesting comparison because, I mean, when guys – don't necessarily know when to stop shooting. I mean, they get themselves in a bad situation. I mean, one of the examples I look at from a player who is returning, Darius McGee to Liberty. Like, mm-hmm. there are some times where he has, like, he has really good shooting nights, probably more often than the, than, the, than the ugly nights. But when he isn't shooting the ball very well, he can cause his team in the ace zone. And I, that, that's a very big, really, point of to note there. To move on to the show to uh, kind of get more of the overall pers- uh, prospect uh, of what is happening in the portal right now, because there has been plenty of action already. Still a lot of guys out there, uh, but some teams have built themselves quite a big hole in the portal. A team yeah. like Arkansas really comes to mind. Uh, Bama, too. Yeah, but there are some teams who are perhaps going under the radar a little bit. Maybe don't have, they don't have that many guys, or perhaps they're getting guys that maybe aren't quite the stars but are also doing themselves a very big favor in getting some of those guys. Um, so some of the things that I'm curious from you guys are those teams that perhaps may not be getting the attention they deserve from their transfer portal hall, but are still getting the job done and trying to do it in an effective way. One, one player I love, I'll start off, one player I love is Mark Sears from Ohio transferring to Alabama. Um, he played behind Jason Preston. Uh, two years ago, and then this year he was really the leader for that team. Um, he was like he he was the vocal point for the Bobcat team on the offensive end, averaging 19 points a game. I mean, yes, it was in the MAC, and now he's playing in the SEC. But if Alabama can have an experienced guard on that team, they could finish pretty high in the SEC standings. Yeah, that's definitely a quite quite the one there. Um, one team I look like I look at that kind of story the, the, the underrated hall. I look at it in Mississippi State right now with, with a couple of players. So one, Deshaun Davis from Morgan State, uh, had his spot moments on what was an awful team. We're not gonna put that very lightly. That Morgan State team was awful, uh, but he had his moments. I mean, back in February 15, 22 points against Colorado. Uh, February 24, 31 points uh, against USC on a 14 of 24 night. Um, he has had his duds. The 0 for 10 in 37 minutes against Oregon January 29 was very, very ugly. Uh, and there are some nights where he just didn't shoot the ball um, hardly at all. I mean, going back to the two days in November, the back-to-back against Wake Forest and Penn State. Uh, but he certainly provides those moments. You can put him in, get a bunch of points off, off from him. That, is a, that could be a very good one for you. And the other hall from, from Mexico State, Will McNair, um, Teddy Allen's getting all the acclaim from Mexico State, and rightly so. Uh, but Will McNair also had a decent year for himself, uh, just under five rebounds per game, and just over six point six and a half points per game. Uh, so he was he proved to be competent uh, at that level. Whether or not that translates to the SCC is yet to be determined. Uh, but the metrics do seem somewhat high on him. The the projected BPR for next year at fifteen point one, which 
that's probably about where you need to be at Duke to be at least somewhat productive in the SEC. Uh, so that is something I'll be very curious to see what ends up really happening there. I feel like I haven't heard too much talk either about what West Virginia has done. They have gone out and gone themselves a couple of very, very um, nice players. One from South Carolina, Eric Stevenson. Um, just under 11.5 points per game. Just under 5 rebounds per game. Really solid um, numbers um, out of that South Carolina team. <coughs> Excuse me. And then also um, Joe Tassan from Iowa. Um, being projected at Wrigley as one of the top stars uh, in this portal, even though the numbers in this last season don't necessarily tell that story from him. Uh, so going to a team like, like a West Virginia, playing for a team in the Big 12, it's going to be a gauntlet for him. How will he handle that? Analytics seem to say he's going to be pretty solid, uh, but I'll be very curious to see what ends up happening um, with him. Your guys' thoughts on what West Virginia has done so far? The the I mean, for teams that miss the tournament they're gonna have to go out and get players in the portal and i mean that's what they've done just bringing in guys who are used to playing at the college level and then hoping you can tandem them up with the guys who are staying with your program i think it's important now i'm mcneil did leave so that's gonna be a tough that's gonna be a tough loss for them but uh i think west virginia's done a good job so far i would agree i mean i love coach bobby huggins um he's been on the cbs panel for the last two seasons which is sad but um, uh, I think West Virginia is making their way back up to what their standard usually is so a couple of great uh, signees for them in the transfer portal for sure. Yeah that, that is uh, absolutely the case. One of the other things I wanted to talk about uh, was Brian. Uh, this is a program that is moving going into the America East where the where the dominant lion, Vermont, is waiting for them. And they have done, I think, a very solid job of getting guys who maybe are going to translate over into the American East very, very well. Uh, Antoine Walker from the Lion, one of those guys uh, in the A-10, average un just under 7.5 points per game, around 4.5 rebounds per game going into the Atlantic 10 tournament. Uh, one of those guys who sort of did very, very well off the bench for Rhode Island. And in a starting role Rhode Island in 2021, just over nine points per game, around six and a half rebounds per game, definitely did himself a solid job. So that is something I will be very interested in seeing. Well, how will he translate to the America East? Will he turn into a star? Or will he not? That, to me, is a big, very, very big question. Uh, they also got Doug from St. Peter's. Doug Eater. Doug. <laughs> yeah, they got him. And we, and we know what he was able to put up in the tournament against some very solid teams. Uh, did a very, very solid job for himself. Was able to raise his average just close to shy of 10 points per game uh, over that tournament. Uh, and so will that star power carry over into the American East? We'll have to really wait and see uh, on that. Uh, but he also took a, a couple of chances on some guys. Um, uh, Javon Kramer from, from Hospra. Um, maybe coming off the bench. Appeared in 21 of the... 31-32 games for the hospital, just over five points per game, three boards per game. Will we be able to translate into the Americans and do well for himself also? Uh, and also a guy in um, Chaucey Hawkins who did not play at all last year. They took their chances. They found some, some guys who could do really, really well for themselves. And I think Bryce kind of got that right mixture of guys, uh, but they are really going to really want to play well next year if they're going to have any chance of going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Vermont right away in the America East. All right. I don't think they're going to be able to jump right in and be able to do it, but 
if they can help establish themselves in a much better conference, it'll bode themselves going forward. And I think that's what ultimately really matters. And when you look at it, you know, Bryant is a program that's been on the rise for a little bit and moving up from the Northeast Conference is significant. Jared Grasso signed a contract extension through 2028. So he's going to be there for a little bit, whether or not he stays there for the entire time. If Bryant continues to do well, that's yet to be seen. But Grasso, he, he's a Long Island guy, so coaching in Rhode Island at Bryant is certainly something that's going to inspire him. He probably knows the college basketball areas where he can recruit underappreciated guys to come to Bryant and play here. I, I think that Bryant is really positioning itself to maybe not compete quite yet with Vermont, but maybe two to three years down the line. I think that's ultimately what matters. Because ultimately, that Vermont program has just been incredibly well run. And at least in the in recent years, hardly anyone other than UMBC has been able to really challenge them um, for that spot and really get to them in the, in the American East Tournament. Hartford uh, Hartford got the yeah. auto bid the previous year. Yeah, I, yeah and, and I'm forgetting if that was a down year for Vermont too or not. But No, it wasn't. I think Vermont just got upset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, that's just the beauty of March, that one game can really uh, kill you. But in the regular season, Vermont has been just completely dominant uh, in the America East. And so that would be one of the bigger questions uh, for Bryant. will be able to set the foundation for themselves in the America East and really be able to take that foundation and really make something great out of it. I think that going to, that's going yeah. to be a big, big question for that program. And I just wanted to give a transfer thought because you guys had given a couple I think that when you're in the transfer portal, you're looking for guys that fit your system, fit your need. And one guy who transferred to a big school from another big school that fits much better is Andre Curbelo going from Illinois to St. John's. And Andre Curbelo came in with high expectations and, needless to say, did not meet them at Illinois. They didn't get out of the first weekend. Uh, it's just what happened. I mean, we're, we're not going to sugarcoat things here. And for him to now, he, he runs, he runs a lot. He loves and his fast pace. Going basketball. to St. John's, which has one of the best, one of the highest tempos in all of college basketball, I believe they were like top, they're definitely top five. Let's pull this up. Uh, they, were, they were number one. They were number one in tempo by the end of the year. They, 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 they did pass Charleston. So I think this is going to be a much better fit for Andre Capello, and I think it's going to help St. John's because now they have two guys that can run the offense, him and Posh Alexander. And then if Julian Champagne does decide to come back, uh, whether it be entering the transfer portal or going pro, potentially, St. John's is a team to watch out and an already really good Big East. Well, I mean, I agree with you, but I also disagree with you. I mean, I would think Curbelo would better himself by going to a program that plays slower basketball because I think he makes most of his mistakes when he is playing at that fast rate. So Curbelo... At his best, is pretty dang good. So yes. I think St. John's could be perfect for him, especially in the conference like the Big East. But it also could hurt him. Well, here, all I don't want to say I'm going to correct what you're saying, but I, if you went to a coach that would tell him, hey, you need to slow things down and help him out with that, that would help him out a lot yeah. more. Yeah. No, I agree. But I think that given his playing style, I think that going to St. John's fits that tremendously well. So to close out the show in the last few minutes that we have here, because there's still, like I said, there's still all kinds of talent left uh, in the portal, even though there are plenty of commits uh, so far. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on some 
underrated players still in the portal and some overrated players um, still in the portal. Um, I'm going to start out with perhaps an overrated player um, that is in the portal. And offensively, this guy may be able to get the job done. Uh, but Nolan Friedel from South Dakota State might be a defensive liability. Uh, so we know that South Dakota State offense was elite in every way in the Summit League. Uh, just did not translate to the NCAA tournament. So it's just a big shame for that program. And in the portal, uh, last last year, defensively, that BPO is in the negatives. You don't want that to happen. It's projected to be in the negatives again. He can get the job done offensively. He can fit it off the bench as an offensive spark plug. Uh, but... But the kind of guy that's rated as a five-star on my transfer rankings, I wouldn't want a guy that is, you know, kind of that defensive liability. I would want a guy that can can be balanced and put in on both sides of the ball and be very effective in that. And and, and at least the analytics say that Friday may not be that guy. So, one of you guys uh, overrated in the portal still? I think I'll go underrated for this one. Okay. BT um, Johnson Jr. from Ohio State. Uh... I just want to remind people, he, Michi Johnson is my age. So that means he is 19 years old. Actually, he's not even 19 yet. But he reclassified out of high school like Imani Bates. So last year he was, or I guess now two years ago, he, was, he came into Ohio State halfway into the year. Um, so, but this year he was still listed as a freshman. So he's only a sophomore, even though he's been in college basketball for three years now. And... Michi had a lot of stride surrounding him. I mean, a lot of positive energy surrounding him through high school until he tore his ACL. That ACL injury knocked him down a little bit, and I think he has yet to find his stride in college basketball, but when he does, he's going to be a very dangerous score first point guard um, for any program that can get him. Yeah, I'm going to go with underrated first. It's going to be a cook a cook from UConn. Uh, four-star athlete, uh, went to UConn, didn't really find his role uh, with the 2019-20 UConn Huskies, and then he broke his leg, I believe. It was a really bad injury. Hasn't really found his footing, uh, pun intended, or pun not intended, really. Uh, but he hasn't been able to, you know, rebound, per se. But six foot nine, he's, he's got that pro build, kind of like Imani Bates. Less athletic, for sure, but if... He takes a bit of a step back from the Big East, you know, maybe drops down to a mid-major. I think that would help him out. Yeah, that would definitely be uh, quite an interesting scenario, really, to uh, say the least, and where uh, where some of those guys perhaps really uh, end up. Um, how about uh, let's get your guys' takes on some of those overrated players? Um, who you guys think might be uh, not might not be what they're promised? Well, I think Sharif O'Neal is definitely a name that comes to mind. I mean, obviously, highly touted recruit. Also, a player hasn't been able to find his footing in, you know, originally going to Arizona and then backing out because their recruiting violations, and then UCLA, and then LiAngelo Ball steals some sunglasses in China. That was a whole ordeal. Then he transferred, and then he recommits to LSU, which is, of course, where his dad went. Wasn't able to do anything, so I, I think he's a bit overrated. I have another one, but Dom, if you have one, I can uh, give it. I was actually going to say Shreve and Neil, so... Uh, how about Kenneth Lofton? I mean, he was a good player at Louisiana Tech, but I think that his build maybe is not as promising. Uh, only six foot nine. Uh, he's a bigger guy, like in terms of stature, but I'm not sure if he takes a step forward to the Power Five level, he's going to be able to put up anywhere near as good of the numbers as he put up uh, at Louisiana Tech. Yeah, and that's a, that's a lot of the big things with the portal. Some of those guys looking to get the step up. 
really promote themselves into that mm-hmm. power conference level, whether or not it's going to really happen for them or not, uh, and really in that regard. Um, someone I'm looking now as far as the transfer rankings, um, perhaps someone that might not be uh, getting as much love from, really from the natural perspective, uh, Bradley's Terry Roberts is projected really well within the analytics uh, from Aaron Maya. Um, so that can make really a step up next year, uh, particularly offensively. And he's got that balanced offensive, defensive, um, DPP, uh, OBPR and DBPR. Uh, we'll have to really see what he ends up uh, doing, but it can be a very decent point guard for his power conference school that looking to improve themselves, get into middle of the pack, try to contend for an NCAA tournament bid or at least get himself to the NIT, make positive progress. Uh, he might end up being the guy that uh, can really do, um, really do that um, for himself. And, and, and that's kind of really what I have there as far as um, that is concerned. There's also plenty of guys that have the, sort of the defensive favored um, analytical profile, uh, at least in, in MMI's opinion. Um, Hessen Ward from VCU is one of those guys. Uh, really solid defensively in the analytics. The, the DPP over him last year was 21.1, which was super impressive. His big problem was offensively, he was a liability. Uh, and then the, uh, the projections from the MMI system have him taking the step up. Uh, so will he be able to take that step up offensively is a big question, uh, but, def- but defensively he can provide a whole lot of value in that regard. So that will be what I am very curious to end up seeing what ends up happening with that. And so with that being said, I believe that is all the time we're going to have for this week's show. I think I'll let Mr. Stern be the model for a nice, neat banner there for those watching the video on Spotify. Uh, Twitter, at College Financial, that's exactly where you'll get a lot of uh, great content there. Uh, we get in the tech top up in, fu- in future weeks as well, as we are still incredibly busy with full class loads here at the Cronk High School at Arizona State University. Uh, but at College Financial, the place you're going to want to go. I'll be having some Bonanza Chronicles come out. Uh, so that'll be a good place for some more written pieces. I have one in the works uh, on Darius McGee returning to Liberty. So that'll be a fairly fun piece. You heard it here first. Mm-hmm. No, like you just, if you're a listener, you heard about the the, the Chronicle. You heard it here Absolutely. first. Absolutely. That, that's a very good point. <laughs> um, so, so that'll be something that'll be in the works and put out. Probably as soon as Monday of this week, to be honest. Perhaps by the time you're uh, viewing this on Spotify and your video podcast. So that'll be very, very fun. Of course, the other version of this podcast will be available wherever else you get your podcast. But that special video podcast only on Spotify. For Dominic Stern and Dom Contini, I've been Nicholas Hodel. For those of you listening live on Blaze Radio, BlazeRadioOnline.com, you get the treat of one shining moment as we do every single week. Have a very good rest of your week, everyone.